Well, good evening, one and all, kind friends and neighbors. Tonight, it's another edition of OBW Talks, the podcast of our ever-loving Old Baptist Weekly. Yes, OBW still happens every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock p.m. Central Time. And this happens on Tuesday nights. I guess everybody's on to that right now. Guys, are you anybody confused on that? I hope not. <clears throat> if you are, then I fear for the discussion to follow. But to, tonight, we're going to talk Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through, is it 14, Jerry, or 15? 14. 14. And we're going to, God willing, look at what is being said there. Why is it being said? What's the what's the purpose <laughs> of it being there? Why did Paul feel led of the Spirit to write about a little experience, not a little, a bad experience, a big experience, a big event that happened prior to these events in Galatia in the city of Antioch where the church was, and it was one of those unique, maybe the unique church of churches of that day and age. It was a combined membership of Jew and Gentile. Peter makes a little visit up there, and then Joe's going to level set us on what all this means so that we can then just jump right in, excuse me, just jump right in with all fours <clears throat> or all twos, depending on if you're an animal or a human. So we will get going in that. Pray for the uh, furtherance of this. May it be to his glory honor. May it be the truth. May it help be helpful and not hurtful to anyone who's seriously studying Galatians. But this is an integral portion of the letter because it segues us to the very profound doctrinal statements that are to follow in the 16th through the 21st verses, and then obviously on through the 3rd and the 4th. So this is a, this is a big setup uh, section of Scripture. We've already had the Jerusalem event recorded in 2, 1 through 10. Now we have the Antioch event recorded in 2, 11 through 14. So, without further ado, if you'll bow with us, we'll go to the Lord in prayer, and then, Brother Joe, do your dead-level best to level-set us, if you bow. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank Thee, O Lord, from the bottom of our hearts that You have given us the opportunity to study Thy Holy Word, to study with such wonderful brethren as we are so privileged to study with and Lord, we, we thank you for each of them. We thank you for their studies. We thank you for the gift that you've given them. And we pray, Lord, that you will enlighten us all with thy truth. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to feel what it is that thou would have us to see, to hear, and to feel in this section of Scripture that we're to study this evening. May it redound to thy glory. May it be the truth as it is in Christ Jesus. And may it edify all who watch in the most holy faith. Lord, grant us strength. Forgive us if we say anything amiss. Lord, help us to see the better way to go. Help us to see more and more of Thee and to see us in Thee. And we thank Thee, Lord, for Jesus Christ. We thank Thee, Lord, for the gospel of grace. We thank Thee, Lord, for the church. We thank Thee, Lord, for the fellowship that we have, not just with these brethren, but for all thy people, wherever they may be, who believe in the truth of the finished work of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name and for his sake. Amen. Brother Joe. Thank you. 
appreciate that prayer. In the verses leading up to our study verses tonight, Paul reminds us and narrates describing um, a meeting he had in Barnabas with Peter and the other apostles in Jerusalem. At the conclusion of that meeting, which Paul identifies as his going into significant detail, telling them how and what he preached to the Gentiles, how they received it, the whole administration of his preaching to Gentiles. And they, at the conclusion, affirmed everything he told them and gave him and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. You are our equals in this work. God sent you to the Gentiles as he sent us to the Jews. What we have in, in Paul's confronting Peter in the verses we'll study this evening is in some ways another reminder Paul gives to the Galatians of his equality with the other apostles in, in, in the gospel. If he is the inferior to Peter and the other apostles, is he going to confront Peter in the public gathering of the church and rebuke him? <laughs> Hardly. So there's, there's uh, that, that issue. But for Paul, it's bigger than he and Peter's relationship. It's all about the gospel and its integrity and its broad base of inclusion and extension to God's people in faith, not to a particular culture of people uh, because of their culture or their, their historical background. With that, um, rather than reading all of the verses, maybe just read a couple of the verses to open up the discussion, and then we go from there. <clears throat> Verse 11, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. This word blamed, we should examine carefully to understand. To be blamed, as Paul uses the word here, my, one of my preferred New Testament Greek dictionaries defines the Greek word translated blamed as to judge something to be bad. Same word appears in 1 John chapter 3, verse 20. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. If our heart tells us we did something wrong or something bad, God's greater than our heart. Our heart and our emotions and our opinion about what's right and wrong is not the final judge. God is. Amen. So we may have a, a, a misguided conscience that tells us we did something bad. God's the final judge, not our emotion. Right. So Paul says Peter was, he did something wrong and bad when he took this action. What was the action? That's the really big issue. Verse 2, for before that certain came from James he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. What is it that Peter really did? He ate with the Gentiles. Eat with, in this setting, is translated from a word 
which identifies more than sitting down at a meal. It describes conviviality, a, a friendship, sitting at a table with good friends and while you're eating a meal, having joyful, enjoyable, and unguarded fellowship with each other. <clears throat> That's the situation Peter was enjoying. He had good background for that, for he was the one the Lord appointed to preach to the house of Cornelius. He'd had the wonderful experience there. He was not ill at ease with Gentile believers. He enjoyed their fellowship. This verse also tells us something else. He withdrew. He pulled away. He ceased this favorable conduct and became motivated and driven by his fear of the people that came. Folks, I've been in this business about over 65 years. Um, sincere believers who have their own way of thinking about things and may, in that way of thinking, disagree from you can be your most painful and harshest critics and create more trouble for you than a stranger off the street. <laughs> you care for them and they care for you. They're not mean and devious people. They sincerely believe what they believe and they believe they're right. And if you disagree, you're wrong and they really want to get you on the same page with them. But they can be, I'm, for, I'm sorry, sometimes mean in the way they go about it and inflict pain on you. It would have been a good time for Peter to have remembered Proverbs 29, verse 25, the fear of man bringeth a snare. Mm -hmm. Peter got caught in the snare of his own fear of man. He probably knew these people from Jerusalem, that, and, and at least by reputation, and he knew they were capable of being fairly harsh yeah. if, if, he, if they thought you weren't towing the line to the gospel. He separated himself because of fear. He To separate means to divide into two or more parts. It's schism in the church at Antioch. Peter inadvertently, by fear of man, led what could have become a schism, a real division in the Antioch church. And that is not good for the gospel. So Paul, who is probably functioning, he and Barnabas as pastors there, had a vested interest in that being corrected as quickly as possible. Christian discrimination, whether it be based on race, on culture, or dialect, or anything other than the essential realities of biblical doctrine, is wrong. And that is the message of Galatians to us today. Mm -hmm. And one that today in the Christian culture is sorely needed. Yeah. In the book of Galatians itself, looking forward a few, a few sessions forward from where we are, chapter 3, verses 27 to 29, Paul affirms the gospel attitude toward other people who are not like us. Let's put it that way. 
For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Did you hear that, folks? There's neither Gentile nor Jew. There is neither bond nor free. How much money you have, your status in governmental recognition as a citizen or not, doesn't matter. There's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. He didn't say you're all one in circumcision, did he? Which is what was going on with these false teachers. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise? I want to touch one more point. Verse 13 identifies that Peter and Barnabas engaged in dissimulation. I doubt that word is a part of your daily vocabulary. It's, it's a, a near equivalent to our, our contemporary word hypocrisy. They acted the hypocrite. They, they acted against their knowledge. Both of them knew what they were doing was not right. So how does Paul react? In today's culture, most believers in Christ would say, well, I, I'm going to confront him, and he's going to get really emotional, and he won't take it well, and it won't work out well, so I'm just not going to do anything. Well, that could happen in some settings. A lot of believers in today's Christian culture are more driven by emotion, especially ego-based emotions, than they are driven by faith. Does that excuse us from our Christian ethic? I say, no, it does not. What is the Bible example in this lesson for us when we see someone who in public does something wrong? Verse 14, when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, it wasn't Paul's opinion that they offended or crossed. It was the truth of the gospel to which they had all agreed in that earlier Jerusalem meeting, but now they're acting contrary to it. I said unto Peter before them all, one of the, the errant ideas in contemporary Christianity today is that however errant, however far someone wavers from the truth, you have a Christian ethical obligation to approach that person privately. If you make a public matter of it after he has crossed the gospel in that way in public, then you violated your ethic. That's not what Paul did here. He, he didn't have a private session with Peter. He confronted Peter to his face before them all. If you have a private uh, difference that, that breaks relationship or threatens, yes, go to that person privately. But when someone contradicts the gospel in public, you may at some, on some occasions be required and confront them publicly. I've been a pastor of the church I serve now for right at 50 years. One time, one time in those almost 50 years, a man, a visiting preacher, 
preached a sermon so far afield from what I believe Scripture teaches, what our church's confession of faith states they believe, I thought during the sermon, do I just stand up and call him down and take him out of the pulpit? What do I do? I wanted to do what was right and not be offensive. I didn't do that. But I tell you, this is what I did. When he finished preaching, I devoted about 15 minutes to preaching what I believe Scripture teaches about the points he had taught errantly. And I think he understood. And after church, some of the people came up to me, thanked me for doing what I did and said, what is he thinking? <laughs> so I, I, I suggest when someone crosses the harmony of the gospel in scripture, it's the, the, the scripture requires a more direct and sometimes more public challenge and confrontation of that error. And with that, I think it's time to go, as Mike fondly states it, to the peanut gallery. <laughs> you guys join in. First of all, Brother Joe, I do want to say thank you for not embarrassing me on that particular uh, at Bellflower. No. <laughs> it was not you, my it friend. Was it, it was, was not guy. you. You have never so preached at Bellflower. <laughs> oh. What a what a beautiful level set um, through this uh, this account. The more um, the more I looked at it and studied it and tried to think on it over the last few days, the more serious it got. Um, I think sometimes I know I have a tendency. I look at something like this and maybe try to put it in a little encapsulation. Oh, Peter was just you know he buckled under peer pressure or something. It's far more than that. And uh, obviously, that is why Paul addressed it the way that he did. And hopefully, in our discussion today, we'll, we'll maybe kind of mine that field a little bit to talk about how serious it, it truly is. One thing I want to ask, uh, just toss something out. And it was from our last discussion um, in, in the first part of the second chapter. Um, I, I looked back up in there as I was trying to study a little bit on these verses and i you mentioned it joe in your um, um, in your level set in verse seven uh, paul says but contrarywise when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me as the gospel of the circumcision was unto peter the the term the the gospel of the uncircumcision kind of jumped out at me um, this morning as I was looking at it. And I know there's not, there certainly were not two gospels. I mean, there were this, the same uh, uh, gospel, the, the gospel truth. And yet Paul made a, a distinction. Um, and, and I just tossed this out for you all to think about. Um, if, if you look at it this way, I, I understand Paul was sent to the, the Gentiles. Peter was sent to the Jews. I, I get that part of it, but the gospel that Paul preached to the Gentiles differed um, in, in application in, in many ways than the gospel that was preached to the Jews. Would it be appropriate to attach um, the principle of liberty to uh, the gospel of uh, the uncircumcision? We talked a lot about liberty last time, 
um, in contrast to law, um, liberty in contrast to confinement and heaping things on that, that are not appropriate in the handling of the gospel and the living of the gospel. Um, I would love to hear you guys' thoughts on, on just that part of that statement, the gospel of uncircumcision um, and the gospel of circumcision. Am I making any too much out of it? I think not. Um, let me give you an example. One from scripture, Romans chapter 14, him that is weak in the faith receive yeah. you, but not to doubtful disputation. From that basic premise of behavior, Paul identifies two fields of conduct. You can be a Sabbatarian and believe that God preserved the seven-day Sabbath, so the Sabbath is on Saturday in our calendar, not Sunday. He says, don't fuss with people about it. Yeah. Don't fight with them over it. The second thing he he told them not to receive and then engage in doubtful disputation was diet. They may come into your church and they're a vegetarian. Personal example, probably 15, maybe 20 years ago, our church is located in a suburb between Los Angeles and Long Beach, California. One Sunday morning, first time the man appeared, walked into our church, listened to the gospel I preached, and came up, introduced himself after church. He was friendly. He was gracious. He was open. He had recently come from India. He grew up in India. He was born to a family that belonged to the Hindu religion of India. <clears throat> in the Indian culture, I didn't know this until he told me about it. You can't change from one religion to another. If you do, you are persona non grata. You're in mm -hmm. trouble. And he became very dissatisfied and disenchanted. He made an interesting observation. He said the only people that showed unselfish care for the Indian people were the Christians. <laughs> and he said... Instead of staying there, I decided I would come to this country and learn what Christianity is all about. Wow. He stayed. He kept coming to church. He, he, not long before or after that, he asked me to baptize him. And I said, I, you, need to, you need to understand something about the Christian culture. It's not what it should be. But there are a lot of different opinions that all claim to be Christian. I want you to become very familiar with us and be sure that you believe what we believe. And if you if you find that is true to your heart, then yes, I'll be thrilled and our church would be thrilled to have you baptized and become a member of our church. That happened. Our friend grew up from infancy in a culture that was vegetarian. He today is still a vegetarian. Mm -hmm. Do we require him to eat T-bone steak to be a <laughs> member of our church? No, no sir. If he no. wants to be a vegetarian and be a member of our church, God bless him. That's perfectly fine. He's brought a few vegetarian dishes that I tried at our potluck dinner, 
and I enjoyed them. And a couple of them were hot enough. They gave me indigestion, but I still enjoyed them because they were his, his hospitality to me. So th- I think that's Paul's dealing with cultural differences, right. not doctrinal. That's right. a long story to, to make a short point. Excellent. Okay. Now I listen. <laughs> Thank you. Go for it, guys. Marco. Hello. <laughs> Uh, great points. Um, I think there is a, a key to liberty, Brother Jerry, with regard to the gospel of the uncircumcision for what but the points that Brother Joe brought out, you know, culturally different, certainly mm-hmm. dramatically culturally, culturally different than the Jews in their culture. So I do think there is a an element of liberty. I mean, the Apostle Paul begins chapter five with saying, stand fast in that that liberty. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really appreciate those comments, really appreciate the level set brother Joe. Um, I was, I was kind of like Jerry was when I was reading this and, and meditating about this. And then it's very matter of fact, um, you know, there's not, there's not, uh, I can't find any places in here that we could say, well, maybe that means this, or maybe that means that uh-huh. it's really matter of fact. Paul saw a problem. Paul saw that Peter was the root of the problem. Maybe not necessarily, you know, to to call Peter out for any other reason, except for not only what he was doing, but what he was causing others to do. And I think the apostle Paul, because (laughs) brother Joe, you mentioned that 13th verse where it says in the other Jews dissembled likewise with him. He says, in so much that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. Paul was, again, Paul in this writing this letter, it's it's evident that he is not, uh, he's not happy with what has been happening. And he mm-hmm. certainly wasn't happy with this. And the fact that what Peter was doing, if it was just Peter and nobody else was doing it, then perhaps it would have been a, Brother Joe, a private offense that Paul might've gone to him privately over, but what Peter was doing was causing others to fall in that same hypocrisy. Uh, and Paul says, we're not going to have this. It's not going to continue. Uh, and so when it says he, he, you know, went to him to the face before them all that I believe that it was those that were, uh, dissimulating, like Peter, those that that weren't and were hearing about this maybe for the first time. Um, and Paul's saying, this is not how it is supposed to be. He says, if, if thou being a Jew, in verse 14, livest after the manner of Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? He says, Peter, you're doing the right thing. You're going among them. You went among them. You're going among them. You're fellowshipping with them. You're not uh, forcing Jewish customs, Jewish laws, things like that on them. He said, so you're doing the right thing there. But he says, but when the Jews come, why are you backing off? Obviously, it was because of fear. And the, the key thing that came to my mind in studying this was the staunch defense of the apostle Paul with regard to the gospel, because I think that's what, uh, at least in my mind, I could, uh, you know, encapsulate this to Paul's more of Paul's defense 
Uh, I know in, um, I think in the 22nd chapter of the book of Acts, I think it was his, the first time uh, as he was starting his long road to Rome, um, the first time he speaks in his defense, he even says, hear my defense. So he's, he's saying, I am standing for something very important. We mentioned Acts chapter 26 several sessions ago uh, when Agrippa gave him speak and he raised his hands and said, you know, men and brethren, uh, and he talked about, you know, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He asked Agrippa, don't you believe the prophets? Agrippa said, you almost got me, Paul. And, uh, you know, Paul says, I wish I'd have gotten all of you, not just almost, but almost and altogether, such as I am without these bonds. In Philippians chapter one, he, he goes through a long list of men that are preaching, maybe for the right reason, maybe for the wrong reason. One, he yeah. says, suppose, you know, they preach Christ of contention, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. Um, but then he comes down right when he's about done with that, I believe he says, and the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. <laughs> The apostle Paul understood unequivocally, and you, you can find this in the book of Timothy, when he talks about how the gospel has been committed to our trust. Mm -hmm. It was committed to Paul's trust. It was committed to Timothy's trust. It's committed to the church's trust. Mm -hmm. And it's something, it is the thing worth defending Amen. to the bitter end for Amen. whatever it takes to defend the truth as it is in Christ Jesus. <laughs> and the apostle Peter and we know how much Peter was blessed. We read his sermon on the day of Pentecost. We read his two epistles. We see how grounded he is in the truth. And just as those that were had come into the churches of Galatia to lead them astray, and Paul was angry with them, he was angry with Peter. And it was nothing personal, right? This no. wasn't about Peter didn't comb his hair right, or he didn't do this or that. This was about you're not defending the gospel. You are dissimulating it and you're not defending it and you can't do both. And Peter, when you're down there by yourself, you're doing the exact right thing. Don't let others dissuade you from doing what is right. And I draw out that point in these five verses that we cover uh, tonight, that it's just, it's about doing what is right. And Amen. Paul is encouraging Peter by withstanding him to the face. Imagine Peter in that, you know, here comes Paul and Paul makes a beeline for him, gets right in front of him and says, Peter, what are you doing? And Peter's Amen. like, ah, you know, you know, oh my goodness. He's don't you think in Peter's mind when Paul got done. And I think Peter proves it himself in his, is it his first epistle when he talks about our beloved Paul second, second, second. epistle. That his yeah. words are hard, but he refers to him as our beloved Paul. Paul won a brother that day, as far mm -hmm. as I can tell. And mm -hmm. not only that, he stopped something that was causing the gospel to be left undefended. And what's worse, to be thwarted and adulterated by the actions of one mm -hmm. apostle. And that's yeah. why I believe the apostle Paul was so adamant about that with Peter. Um, just some thoughts that I had while I was meditating on this. You know, brother Mark, I, you, know, you, you made a lot of really good points in, in that. No question. Uh, 
it's kind of interesting. And, and Brother Joe, your response to the question that I just posed um, on the, uh, the the gospel of uncircumcision versus gospel of circumcision and the um, the cultural tension that existed. Uh, you know, if you, when we follow Peter, you find Peter had a, an issue of blending, really. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, he he as he was even walking with the Lord, it was me and you, Lord. It was not just you, Lord. You know, I'll go with you to the bitter end. I will do this. I will do that. Uh, when in the account in in Acts, when uh, God uh, provides a a clear view to Peter uh, <laughs> and the vision that he had, uh, you know, Peter even engaged in a little bit of uh, argument <laughs> with God. You know. It, <laughs> This is ridiculous. Nothing common or unclean is past these lips. Uh, it seems like he has an issue of a blending, so to speak. And I personally think that, uh, and I think maybe we talked about this a little bit early on in the Galatian uh, uh, letter a few weeks ago. The gospel is not to be blended with anything. The gospel stands Paul makes the point, this doesn't come by me, it doesn't come by man. Yeah. It, it comes from the Lord, and it is not to be blended with anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as, as you look at, you look at it going, going down through this, um, again, I, I think Peter you know, certainly saw the, those that had come from Jerusalem and he obviously had uh, a response to their presence, um, but I think I, I think his level of stability was not where it needed to be, even before they came on the scene. If that makes sense, and the reason that I say that is because you know with the fact that he withdrew, that was not just a oh my gosh, I, I'm under some peer pressure, I'm out. It, it was more of a gradual withdrawal. I think that it has, it, it's an imperfect, the, the verb is an imperfect tense. And I don't know a lot about English. Mike, I know you know more. Joe, I know you know more. But as, as far as that tense of a verb is concerned, it carries the thought of something that, that happened earlier and it's being continued. It, it, is that correct with an imperfect tense verb, mm-hmm. Brother yep. Mike? I, that's how I see it. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it carries that thought. Yeah. I think it does carry that thought personally, uh, which I think makes it even more egregious what Peter did. Um, I mean, it's, it'd be bad enough just to, you know, uh, see him coming out of the corner of your eye and say, Oh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with the criticism, but it seems like he was lacking in full conviction and singularity of thought and mind. Is that is that right, Mike? Mark, Joe, is it? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I think based on what we read in Acts, and what obviously what we read when the Lord was was here and Peter was one of his disciples, and what we read here, I don't think it's too far fetched to think that there was definitely some sort of internal struggle with the apostle Peter. He was a devout Jew, um, and now he's he, now he has been sent to the house of Cornelius, and he's with the Gentiles. I don't think it's too far fetched to think maybe there was a little bit of an internal struggle in the Apostle Peter, his flesh warring against the spirit and spirit against the flesh, 
to him thinking, you know, I, I know this is right, but you know, should we be doing this? Should we be doing that? Should we be forcing something else on them? I think Peter undoubtedly struggled with that, given his temperament, his mannerisms, his mindset. And you're right. I don't think it was, you know, Peter being down there and seeing, Oh, some Jews are coming. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm out. You know, I don't think, I think as he was there now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he was contrary to what God was directing him to do. But I'm thinking in himself that he, I mean, he answered God three times. Nothing common or unclean has entered my mouth. That sounds like somebody that's pretty determined in their mindset, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think you can just drop that in a drop of a hat, giving Peter's circumstances. I, I, I don't know. I agree with you, brother Jerry, that it was, it was not an immediate thing, but I wondered if there was some internal struggle that Peter might've had. Maybe I'm reaching too far. <clears throat> Y'all correct me if I am. At least the, the point in scripture that Paul identifies is it was because he feared those who were the circumcision. Mm -hmm. That's internal. You're absolutely spot yeah. on. That is yeah. internal. Yeah. yeah. He, he was thinking about them and right. the the pain they could give him, not only in Antioch, but in Jerusalem when right. he got back. Yeah. And Jerry, you're yeah. right on the imperfect. It's You just had a three-day meeting at Golden Gate Church. If someone had appeared, a stranger, or let's say a visitor from another church, and you didn't know them well, they, they showed up on Friday morning, and you sit at lunch with them and talk to them, and you just feel like there's something reserved. There's something missing. They're not being open with you to mm. let you know what's going on. And you think, well, maybe it's me. You have a good afternoon service. You go back to visit with him in the afternoon. He's there. He's still doing it. But he's even colder toward you now than he was at lunch. And you see him tomorrow morning, and he barely wants to speak to you. Something's going on. It wasn't, as we call it sometimes, a once and done attitude. It was a lingering separation. Right. right. Two major dangers that, that I believe prompted Paul. Number one, for this Antioch church where he has a personal vested interest to see him and Peter, they know Paul by personal experience and, and exposure. They know Peter by reputation, and they've become acquainted with him personally. To see them on mirror opposite sides of an mm. issue creates a schism in their minds, and that's what the word withdrawal points to. Right. So there's a danger of a deadly schism in the Antioch church because of what Peter does. And secondly, if you, in our in our study next week, and we go to the following verses, yeah. there is a lingering threat to the character of the gospel. Amen. What Peter's yeah. doing. And yeah. Paul sees both of those as deadly destructive, and he wants to correct it before it happens. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. So, Mike, you've Mike. been too quiet. Yeah. I'm just enjoying the discussion. Can a guy just enjoy the discussion? That's your turn. We want to enjoy your discussion. Yeah, yeah. We get to listen. Well, let's see if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Try us. <laughs> uh, this thought came to me when, Mark, when you were talking about Peter's experience with Cornelius 
And remember that big aha moment we had that you said that you had that, why hasn't anybody ever told me this before? Why am I now just now seeing this? That when the Lord told Peter, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. What happened to Peter on the rooftop of Simon Tanner's house in Joppa was conversion. He was convicted. I think it took three times, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. by the end of that third time, he was convicted. Else, why would he so quickly say, yes, I'll go, you know, without any qualification? He went down there. He went right into that man's house for a Jew. That that of itself, going down to Caesarea, going to Caesarea for a Jew was bad. Going in the presence of Gentiles to Caesarea was even worse. Going into the... By Jews to Caesarea into a house of a man like Cornelius was the absolute worst. And then to eat in his house, he's the first Jew of the New Testament church to do that. Mm-hmm. And he did it with conviction. He was, God, how could he not? I mean, he saw irrefutable evidence of what God meant and intended in this part of the gospel journey for his Gentile people. Okay, so now we go to Galatians. Uh, Paul knows the story. The Jews that belong as members of the church in Antioch, they know the story. The Gentiles that belong as members of the church in Antioch, they know the story too. Peter knows they know, which makes what he did all the more worse. Great point. He He wasn't confused about what to do or what not to do. He, what he did was motivated by fear, as Joe said earlier. He, and it says, it says that, for fear of the circumcision. Now, my feelings about what Paul is getting at there is twofold. If you look up that phrase in, as it's used in the New Testament, it means one of two things. And I think in this case, it could mean both. One is just the Jewish people. The circumcision, whether they believe the gospel or whether they don't believe the gospel, just the Jewish people. That's that's the people that Peter was sent to preach to, to them of the circumcision. They were not believers. They were Jews. He preached so that they might be convicted also and become believers. But it also speaks to maybe a faction within the, the mother church of Jerusalem. We know there was a sect of Pharisees. That's what it says in the 15th chapter of Acts. That was there, and they, I don't think they ever bought into the apostolic uh, agreement, the uh, Jerusalem Council findings. They didn't buy it. They had to. They had to abide by it, but they didn't like it. They, right. they seemed to continually find ways to go against it. The, the, the thing that is really tough here is James, yeah. because Peter was fine eating with the Gentiles. I think from the time of Cornelius— he never was confused about that issue ever again. He knew that it didn't matter. You know, it's kind of like what Paul said in the 14th chapter of Romans about eating things. And and he's fine with that. As, as a matter of fact, in, in Antioch, it's not that he said, oh, boy, what a great way to live. I think he knew already. This is fine. And, and I'm not going to confuse the Gentiles by saying, look, you guys— you eat what you want to eat, but I'm eating over here the stuff that I want to eat because I think it makes me, you know, more Jewish. And to be more Jewish mm-hmm. means something better than being more Gentile. That's not that's not the point. When they of the circumcision came, when they of the circumcision acted up, I think James sent some representatives down or up, as the case may be, to Antioch, and to have a little talk with Peter. 
Mm-hmm. What's Peter's role in all this? He's the apostle to the uncircumcision. He's the one that leads the effort to preach the gospel among the Jews. Not the believing Jews, to the unbelieving Jews so that they become believing Jews. Okay, what has already happened to the church? It happened with Saul of Tarsus before he was Paul the apostle. A tremendous, a terrible, terrifying, agonizing persecution was unleashed upon the the, the nascent church as it was. It doesn't, it, 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 the language suggests, and especially Galatians 6.12 underscores the likelihood that there was some pressure being put on James and the church of Jerusalem. Let's go read that, shall we? Or Paul, or, or Jerry, can you read Galatians 6.12? I don't, I can't read too good. <clears throat> I get to it. <clears throat> In Galatians, the sixth chapter is after the fifth chapter, the twelfth. Yes, it is. Six. You want twelve? Twelve and thirteen. As many as desire to make a fair shoe in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves, who are circumcised, keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. And what that seems. Very much to say, here's what Paul thinks about these people. They weren't insisting on circumcision just because they thought it was the right thing to do. They insisted on circumcision so that they would not be persecuted. That is a critical point, I think, in all of this. What Paul's saying about they of the circumcision, if they are the ones in the church, and they of James, and James himself... They are having this feeling that if they don't do something about these Gentile converts to make them acceptable to the main body of the Jews, they will suffer persecution again. Mm-hmm. That's the point I think that I get from Galatians 6.12. Mike, can I add can oh. I ask you a question uh, yeah. relative to that? Because I, that, that jumped out at me as well, um, that it, it appears by the language that James had sent um certain yeah certain from so, jerusalem certain, certain uh, of his of his good guys <laughs> right <laughs> his it, made men <laughs> in acts in acts 21 uh 18 through 21 i guess uh would you say that this connects with one of the points that you the point that you just made relative to the potential um uh, flashback. <laughs> yeah, if that's saying what I think it says, I'm not looking at it, but I right, think let me, it. Can I, let me just read it, and then you tell me if this if this has any relevance at all. Sure. Uh, and the day following, Paul went in with us unto James, and all the elders were present. And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God hath wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. Mm-hmm. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many yeah. thousands of Jews yeah. there are which believe, and they are zealous of the law. Oh, yeah. And they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. What is it, therefore? The multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that thou art come. I think it directly bears yeah. upon the problem. You see the pressure that James is feeling. 
you see the the uh, situation as it exists then this is t- sometime after the galatian right. crisis and it hadn't gotten any better for those in jerusalem they're treading water as fast as they can they've had the lord's blessed them with great success and yet what did they have they have believing jews great but what about those believing jews they are just as avid observers of the law as they ever have been. Believing in Jesus didn't change them from that viewpoint. They were still absolutely deadly serious about that. And you know what Peter was doing? He was doing the very thing that James told Paul that the Jews were accusing Paul of. He said, "You're, you're saying that Jews among Gentiles don't have to live like Jews. They don't have to have their children circumcised. Well, in a sense, Peter was living like a Gentile when among the Jews. Mm-hmm. And that's the very thing that James was saying, people are that's, saying about you, Paul. Right. But it was absolute, and it was not true about Paul, but it was true about Peter mm-hmm. from this one experience. You know, the way the, the 11th verse starts, but when, is very different than the way he starts his, his discussion of the trip to Jerusalem in the, in the first verse of the second chapter. Mm. I get the very strong impression that the 11th verse, the story of Antioch, is used in contrast to the events in Jerusalem. Mm. Contrast and say, this was a great experience. Yeah. This was not. <laughs> Amen. It was it was yeah. essentially the same, and I had I'm I'm the pivot here, and I had to stand up for the truth here, and I had to stand up for the truth there. Yeah. But in this latter one, I don't think it was something Paul was particularly pleased to have to right. talk about or write about. Right. Right. Um, you know, we forget that Paul wrote Galatians. I I say I forget, not you guys, but I forget that Paul had to deal with accusations being levied against him. And they were using things about Paul that may were halfway truths, but were not full truths. So they were sort of lies. And they would use something like what happened in Antioch to prove Paul was kicked out from the leadership. He never was. He he may have been for a little while the apostles of the Gentiles, but after what happened to him in Antioch, he's no longer that guy. You see, Peter Peter said, nah, no way. But see, what Peter did, he did knowing it was wrong. He knew what was right, but because of the pressure, and right. it's not so much peer pressure, it is political pressure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Life and death situation kind of pressure. It, it is, will our efforts among the Jews be successful? Will they remain successful or will they be crushed? So J- James, I think, is saying to Peter, Peter, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Do you not? You know, I don't look. We know what you did with Cornelius. We know that was God. We know God sent you down there. We know God told you it's okay. But these people aren't there yet. So we've got to kind of, you know, slide a little. You know, it sounds so human, doesn't it? it sounds so primitive. It sounds, so human. it sounds like today. <laughs> it sounds just like us. Look, they're not ready yet. Yeah. Let's just take our time to get there. Let's just hold off, okay? It, whether that's exactly how Peter James meant it, that was probably very unfair to James, and to, to some extent Peter. But Paul says the truth of the gospel was at stake. Yes. Right. right. Truth means right. integrity. Yes. 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 Look, 
the gospel that Christ revealed to me that he talks about in the first chapter, the direct revelation of the specifics of that gospel that he was to preach among the Gentiles, how was he to maintain the integrity of it if he just yeah. let this happen? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. How could that's, he say, that's really what Christ revealed to me when people say, well, you let Peter get by with that? Well, what right. about Peter? You know, right. Peter obviously is your superior. Peter yeah. pro it does have a say. So you say he doesn't, but you let him do but what he did. That's right. So he, that's right. Paul had no yeah. choice. I mean, not that he was would let it go. He would rather do anything but. No. He, he but would. I do feel like this. Paul is not the kind of guy as, as, as vibrant a writer as he He's not the kind of guy to throw off on the brethren. No. Mm -hmm. He's not one to uh, to uh, to say bad things about people. Now he'll say bad things about the unbelievers, you know, like the, mm -hmm. the, the Christians are slow bellies and you know all that kind of stuff. But to say about Peter or any of them, he's yeah. he's loath to do that. Mm, yeah, that's why it leads me to suspect that Paul is having to respond to half-truths said by the teachers, the false teachers about him and what probably happened to Antioch. Because I'm thinking what ultimately happened in Antioch was not a win for Paul, or or it, Paul did not was not blessed to win the day. Maybe for a brief moment, but you see the division that happens between him and Barnabas. It looks like they never were the same after that. They were. Uh, you don't see... You, you see Peter, Paul, like you said, Mark, you see Peter finally saying in that second epistle, our beloved brother Paul. Uh, why would Paul, Peter say something like that? Because yeah. I think people wondered, how do you feel about Paul? Right. I, I, I agree. Right. I agree. Yeah, right. What do you think? What, it seemed like right. to me I've heard yeah. you guys had a falling out. Yeah. Paul didn't do, to say this is bad, but let me say, Paul didn't do anything wrong, but he was accused of terrible wrongs. Yes. Yeah. And and here he is trying to say, look, I got to set the record straight. I'd rather not. That's just how I'm thinking. He's saying I'd rather not go down this road. But you guys, you you brought to me what these teachers are saying, and you're raising up the Antioch. Let me tell you what really happened. Let me tell you what really happened. Peter did what he knew was wrong. He did yep. it anyway. He did it without really thinking through maybe maybe he didn't really think about what was going to be the ultimate regards but i really think peter saying it's more important that i please james than to do the right thing yeah. Yeah. and and uh the right thing was to say to these that certain of james goes look god told me on the rooftop in joppa that it is not to call common what god has cleansed and Jesus Christ came and he died for these people as much as I hope that he died for me. So who am I to call these people unworthy of my fellowship? No, I'm eating with them. You can go back to Jerusalem and tell James uh, whatever you want to tell him. But that's who what I'm doing. I'm putting the, the stake right here. I'm not budging. This is what's right. But he didn't do that, did he? No, mm. he did not. He didn't do that. He did not. How well, often have I not done that oh, myself? Yeah. Maybe in oh, yeah. lighter manners. But you, I just, you know, Mike, you asked the question, uh, are we being too hard on James or, or Peter? Uh, you know, what about Barnabas? I, that was a yeah. particularly. Oh, man, that hurt. had to be a gut wrencher for Paul. That had to have been like such a uh, such a terrible feeling for Paul. But but understand this, that word uh, dissimulation that's at the end of the 13th verse, that means to join in with hypocrisy. It that's, also means to deceive. <clears throat> yeah. To, to deceive. To be deceptive. I mean, that's, that's that means knowing that you're doing what you're doing. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. 
Exactly. Sinning against knowledge. Sinning, sinning against, against knowledge. knowledge. Excellent. Right. Excellent. Excellent. That's right. Uh, Paul, oh, he had, and he wasn't looking for an alternative, but he had no alternative. No. It's the, integ- the whole integrity of what he was called to do was at stake. Absolutely. Absolutely. You mm. say, well, it was just a little thing that Peter did. No, it wasn't just no. a little thing that Peter no. did. Oh. And how often do we think, oh, well, it wasn't that bad. Well, maybe it really was. It's just that because we don't want to feel so guilty about things. But there are things we we have to call them for what they are. Right. And, and if and we, we don't, then it's on us. You know? Right. It, it, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And we can't look at this account and just kind of distance ourselves from it and Correct. say, well, Jake, Peter, Barnabas, wow. No, we have to own this. Yeah, it had it. I'm sorry, Paul, Mark, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, no, no, no. I was just agreeing with Jerry. Well, I, I'm seeing Joe. I, I see Joe's mouth moving. And no Joe, sound. Say, say something, Joe. Say, no, no, no. Well, can I just say this real quickly? Barnabas <laughs> and Paul were friends. To say friends that is not really strong enough. They were bosom buddies. They were yeah. they'd been through hard some really hard trials together. But I tend to think Barnabas had the preeminence there at Antioch, at the Antioch church. You know, if you read the story of Barnabas going up to Antioch, he was sent by the apostles to check on them to see if what's happening there was okay, was a kosher, if you will. He saw it. He was he was he saw God was in it. He was thankful. He says, I know who I need to get now. I'm gonna go up to Tarsus and get that Saul guy and bring him down with me. He'd be dynamite here. That's my way of looking at it. And so he, he goes there, he brings Saul, and sure enough, Saul has found his field of labor. Wow. It's like, Joe Holder, going to California. I've found it. Eureka. Didn't they say Eureka in California? No. Eureka. <laughs> I found the place where, and, and, and his labor just goes off the charts. Wonderful. But Barnabas was still kind of seen as the leader. He was Jupiter. Right. They called him Jupiter mm-hmm. and Paul, they called Mars or something like that. But Paul wasn't Barnabas's mouthpiece. Paul was the the real weight behind all of these things. Yeah. But when the thing happened in Antioch, imagine Barnabas. He is he let himself get caught between the rock and the proverbial hard place. Yeah. What he did was not from dissimulation. I think he genuinely was confused. He was completely thrown off guard. Hmm. Well, I'm a Jew. Uh, Yes, I know I preach to these Gentiles. I hate this, but I got to make a decision. Am I a Jew or am I this? Am I a Jew or am I not? I'm Hmm. a Jew. Peter's my apostle. I've got to side with him. I don't know what else to do. I mean... This it's the it's the lesser of evils, but it's an evil, but it's a lesser. I'm thinking that's how. And Paul, seeing this, he's thinking, how could you see that? How could you? How do you know what we've been through? Wow! And the glories of the gospel opening up to these Gentiles people. How can you do what you did? But Paul didn't let that stop him, did he? Thank goodness no. he didn't. No, Mike, you are the peanuttiest peanut. <laughs> <laughs> you I, are. I, I can't like tell you. I, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed everything that you just said. It Absolutely. was spot on. That's why he's our he's our head goober. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm full of. I'm crunchy or smooth, but I'm still a peanut. Yeah. Uh, you know, That's so good. 
Thank you. Here's where I think the segue happened. I think this was a segue story. Paul, Paul, Paul knew I got to talk about Antioch. I don't want to, but I got to. And the Lord says, yeah, you're going to. But he says, you can use this to your advantage. Mm hmm. If you say it just like this, yeah, because the argument has always been how when does Paul stop talking, saying what he said to Peter, and now he's saying to the Galatians or to the teachers that are causing all the trouble in Galatia, and I think in the fifteenth verse he switches gears. He still he's in the fourteenth verse. This is what I said to Peter. And now he's speaking as if he's talking to Peter, but the teachers are smart guys, too. He knows, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, he's mm-hmm. talking to us, isn't he? Yeah. What a masterful use of yes. rhetoric on Paul's part. <laughs> what a brilliant mind he was. And, of course, the Lord gave him the grace to, to see that through. Right. Because then, bam, he says, here is the equalizer. <laughs> Here's the equalizer. The work, the person and work of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Even us Jews know we needed his death just as much as we think the Gentiles did. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a great it's a great story, but it's a sad, it's a tragedy, is it not? I mean, it's a I see it as a tragedy in this only in the sense that it was sad how it that the men who had behaved so well in that first story in Jerusalem should behave the way they did in this next story in Antioch. And especially if it's a sequential story, if it happened mm-hmm. after, it makes it all the more worse. It does. It does. I'm not saying Peter was a bad man. I'm saying he was a good man who made a terrible yep. judgment call. And that's why I think he was he was to be blamed. Joe, you're right. He stood condemned. That's what the literal transliteration is of the Greek. He stood condemned. In what yep. way? Well, before God, of course, before Paul, certainly, but I think even in his own conscience. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He knew he was wrong. He knew it, and he still did it anyway. That's dissimulation. Hmm. You've given us a whole bunch of thought-provoking information, and I do deeply appreciate it. I'm going to be cooking on that for a while. Thank you for that. (laughs) It all hinges on Galatians 6.12. Yeah. There's a couple of points that that are kind of ticking around in the back of my head. First Corinthians probably was written after Galatians. I think so, too. Yeah. In chapter 9, there is an indication that Paul had a high regard for Barnabas. Yes. So to some extent, that heated breach at the end of Acts 15 was healed. I think so too, to a large extent, maybe not totally, but to a large extent. Yeah. Yes. To a large extent, they restored fellowship toward each other. They could get along in the church. Poured water on the heat. (laughs) There, this is, I picked this up somewhere in a commentary. Apparently there is some ancient history that suggests that after the Acts 15 episode, Barnabas ended up leaving the Eastern Mediterranean where Antioch was and settling for the rest of his life and ministry in the Roman Peninsula. Hmm. Hmm. 
Where's Paul going later on in his ministry? He's going to, to Rome. Rome, to the Roman Peninsula. There's not a word mentioned about Barnabas or, or re-meeting in the book of Romans, but if he's going to Rome and finding warm reception, there's another indication, if I that history so is true, that Barnabas didn't go there with a, le- with a lingering grudge. He went right. there with a restored respect and fellowship. Yeah. That's the way just... we need to treat each other when Amen. we have differences Amen. and work them out in our own time Amen. relationships. Yeah. Well, what an example this sets for us. Absolutely, Brother Joe. And, you know, <laughs> you, somebody mentioned it, Mike, I think, um, the brilliance of Paul and how Paul was blessed to to, to navigate through this. Uh you, we all know, have to know, Paul, is, I'm sure he was hurt. I'm sure he was angered. I, I mean, he was concerned, obviously, but he kept the fruit of his argument, the gospel of Christ. Yes, he did. That it was, meant something to him, didn't it? <clears throat> that was the only thing he used. It wasn't his personal feelings. And Brother Joe, you just hit the nail on the head. You know, we can we can disagree, but if the gospel is the is the catalyst to our relationship and we stay true to that, and it's not it doesn't become personal, one person to another person, um, you it's much easier to recover. Much, much easier to recover. One of the biggest problems that I think the church has today is is it's not it's not interpretation of the gospel. It's egos that get in the way. It's it's man. Oh Jerry. Yes, brother Daniel said something yeah. in his preaching over this weekend that I, I hope I never forget. He defined ego as the story you tell yourself. Hmm. I wish I, I could say I told him that, but he came up with that on his own. <laughs> this story, I think I think his sister actually told me. <laughs> but that's Daniel about, Montgomery to everybody, in case you're wondering. <clears throat> think about that. The story that we tell ourselves. Now that gets in the way. <laughs> that gets in the sure way. Sure does. And if I'm telling myself a story hanging on to my ego, I'm not looking at the gospel. And that's why it's hard for us to to come back to each other. This is a very, very pertinent lesson to us today. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Especially if the story we tell ourselves is about ourselves. Right. It's about ourselves. Right. Who, who says yes. believe? Who, yes. All wrapped says, up in me. What is it you say, Joe? You believe. Be careful not to believe your own press clippings. Is that? Is that yeah. 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 Don't, don't believe your own press releases. Read this press release about me. Ooh. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> Guilty. <Yeah>. Guilty. <laughs> oh, wow. But Paul. Paul was the. Believe it or not, in contrast to the Saul of Tarsus person that he was, uh, we might say that he was one Jerry that that had a story that he believed about himself as the great defender of the Judaism. But boy, after the Lord got hold of him, he became the least yeah. egotistical man imaginable. Right. Yeah. He was willing to be all things to all men that he might yeah. win some. It didn't matter how it came across to other people. As long as what he was doing was within the confines of the gospel, 
he was willing to 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 let bygones be bygones. He was even willing to let people say terrible things about him, so long as the gospel yeah. was preached. Gospel was preached. <laughs> he didn't care if it was, they said bad things about him, as long as they preached the truth of the gospel. Man, what a what an example he gives to us. Oh, wow! <laughs> no doubt. We can forgive others, can we not? We if we can't, then the problem is not in the brother. It's in yes. us, right? Right. That's right. Now, That's I realize right. there are situations in which there may be God's will is that that person who's guilty uh, is a long time of coming back, you know? But it doesn't mean that we are the ones that say, you know, I don't care what God says, you're staying out because I just don't like you anymore. You really hurt my feelings. You we shouldn't keep them from coming back. Shouldn't yeah. keep them from coming back. Right. I think John says something about that in first chapter, first John chapter five about about that. Anyway, okay. Where when did we start? By the way, uh, you know, I always mean to set a timer and I always forget. I think we started it's, around. It's been five after maybe. We're, it, we're pretty we're close. Just at if not a little over an hour. It's time cool. for a wrap up. Yeah. Let's have a wrap up then, brother Jerry and. <laughs> Uh, I, I think I have pretty well uh, said, but well, that's not going to stop you, Jerry. Go ahead. It was on my mind and my on my heart. Um, I just I, I'm just very touched at um, at the integrity of Paul and how he addressed this circumstance. Um, what an example set before us! What an example! And, you know, frankly, it's not the first thing that comes to my mind <laughs> when I'm dealing with a confrontational matter, something like that. And I feel I feel a strong sense of conviction. And I I have for a number of days now since I've really been studying this. The thing that keeps ringing in my my heart and mind is the way that Paul did it. It worked. And so many of the times, the way that I have approached it, it has not worked. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ouch. Yeah. That's an ouch. ouch. Yeah. If you've been a pastor long, you have to say ouch. Yeah. You, you, you just have to say ouch. And yeah. so, so that's my wrap up. I say ouch. <laughs> well, ouch right back at you, my friend. But yeah. true, true words. So true. Brother. More yeah, Reynolds. thanks, thanks, Jerry, for that reminder. I, I, we all need to be reminded <laughs> of our ouch moments, <laughs> and, and I concur. I, I, I don't know after after you guys, and then after Mike took off on that great explanation. You know, the only thing I can think of is like Brother Jerry. Don't let this become just a Bible story. Yeah. It is something that actually happened, and it is something that continues to happen that we will all deal with. And I will tell you this, it is never easy. Yeah. It wasn't easy for Paul to do what he it did. It was not easy for Paul. And so when when we're faced with something similar, we have to realize first, it's not going to be easy. We have to realize, second, that we have to be in the same spirit as the Apostle Paul was, and we have to come with not personal feelings, 
but with gospel truth Amen. every time that we have to do that. Amen. I think the apostle Paul, and I'll, I'll close with this. I think the apostle Paul in the sixth chapter of this book says for in Christ Jesus, Jesus, neither circumcision availeth nor uncircumcision, yeah. but a new right. creature. Amen. And I think if we keep that in mind and everything that we do, yeah. then maybe we'll be blessed to win our apostle Peter or whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, when we have to take a stand for the sake of the truth of the gospel. Yeah. Mm. Wonderful. Amen. Brother Joe. Um, I think the watershed moment for me in my study of Galatians was when I realized that Paul was dealing with cultural issues that threatened the gospel. And, and it was because people probably looked more at their culture than they did at Jesus. And that's dangerous. Yeah. Let, let me give you a, uh, I'll try to keep this very brief if I can. Something that brings this right into today's culture. In Romans 6, Paul said, you're not under the law, but under grace. Mm -hmm. If we tell people the Ten Commandments is part of the law, they go ballistic. They think we're amoral, and, right. and we believe in license to sin. Set the stage. God is a moral creature. God, in some way, revealed his moral code to humanity from the beginning. In the second generation, Adam and Eve's children, one brother killed another, and God's moral law against murder shows up, and it's right. clear. Amen. Amen. God's moral code to humanity didn't begin in 1500 right. B.C. Amen. with Moses and the Ten Commandments. Right. So if we teach that the Ten Commandments being part of the law end with Jesus— we're not teaching amoral Christian living, no. which is non-Christian living. A simple reminder is, number one, God's moral character and his moral expectation and law to humanity is timeless. It didn't begin in 1500 B.C. Hey, Secondly, hey. if you want to write out and, and analyze the moral ethic of those ten rules— do the same thing with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Tell me which is the better rule of life. Mm. You don't go from no Ten Commandments to vacuum. You go from no Ten Commandments to Sermon on the Mount. Amen. Yes. And how hard is it for sincere believing Christians to get that through their head? Mm. And how vicious are they when they think you have abandoned something they believe yes. in. Yes. That's, that's so much about what Galatians is about. It, is. it really is. Yes. And and that's why we need it today. Yes. We can't. It, it, there are two things Paul says amount to something. One is a new creature and one is Jesus. <laughs> Those two things. If we put our eye anywhere else, we we compromise and we become vicious and legalistic toward each other, and we do more harm to the gospel of Jesus mm. than benefit. 
That's Amen. why we need the Galatian message. Oh, Amen. Amen. So that's that's my that's my that's my capstone. That was so good. <laughs> yes. Amen. Amen. Was so good. I couldn't say anything. That, was, that was that was as good as your level set. <laughs> I'll just read what Paul says. Paul said, here's what Paul's, and this backs exactly what Joe said. I hope everybody will, when if you take anything away from this study session, take that, take that final thoughts that Brother Joe brought to us. Wonderful, Brother Joe. Thank God for that. Here's what Paul, I'm getting ahead of myself, but you know, if you ever want to know how to understand a story, you go to the last chapter of the last page and you read. <laughs> Read there, and you find out what's going to happen, and what. Here's what Paul says, and I hope it's what we say and how we behave too when it comes yeah. to this. He says, "But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto yes. the world." For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Mm. I love this. And as many as walk according to this rule, mm. we still have a rule. We have a far finer rule than anything that you want to say. Yeah. But as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. Mm. That means all of God's people right there. Bro. Yeah. I understand right. Anything. yeah. Right. That's all of God's people. And Paul's saying that's all that it really amounts to. That's what we're built. That's what we should be looking. That's their focus. That's my focus. That's right. And may we walk according to that rule and peace Man, we need peace. We need mercy. I need it. The churches need it. God willing, we will. But we've got to walk according to this rule, don't we, brethren? Amen. Yes, we do. Amen. Wonderful study. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. the Lord, but thank you, brethren, for sharing such wonderful thoughts. And what may to many people seem like just a, you know, a... a Okay, a story about Paul and Peter. Peter messed up, and Paul had to straighten him up. <laughs> and now we get to the good stuff. No, this what we've been talking about is powerful. It's it me. Sure is. It is very and powerful. It is theology of the most personal sort, if right. I may say it like right. that. This is strong meat, brethren, and thank you for sharing it with us today. To next Tuesday. Hey. We have got to start. Galatians 2.15, and if we start with Galatians 2.15, we've got to say something about Galatians 2.16. <laughs> Together like hand and glove, right? And more. And more. Yeah, right. And the beat more. goes on. And we will be loaded, God willing, with the right yeah. stuff to talk yeah, about. Because it's loaded. And that may be a week or two-week or three-week discussion, oh, just man. those two verses. We don't know. But yeah. pray for us as we study this. May we say nothing to cause any Amen. Uh, dark counsel. May it only help and not hinder anybody in their study. That's right. Yeah. That's pray right. for us that we would be humble about it and not put egos ahead of no, the please. truth. And that we would maintain the integrity 
of the gospel, the truth of the gospel. So with that said, dear brethren, Elder Joe Holder, the level setter and the level down setter. I mean, I don't know, the level summer, the summer upper. Lead us in a closing word of prayer, please. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the hour we've spent looking for the marks and the footprints of your kind grace in a challenging and difficult situation for mm. those first apostles and leaders in the faith. Thank you that your word shows a path of resolution and not of disillusion. Mm. Pray, Father, that you would help us to follow their example. Mm. It's inevitable that humans find occasion when they disagree. Let us be honorable in our disagreement and follow the example we see between these two men, giants in the faith, in their conduct and in their lives and in their example. Oh, Lord. Father, help us to be sowers and examples of peace and Mm. kindness in our lives, in our ministry, and in our walk. And bless us, Father, as we go forward in this study with wisdom and kind grace to find that gem of truth Mm. and and enrich instruction to guide our path and our hearts and our lives for your glory. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And brethren, we say good night to the good people out. Good night. Good night, everyone. Good night, everybody. Sweet.